right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Monday night as I'm recording this. Between games, uh, Sunday night, uh, Sunday evening, excuse me, we had a really nice game. Uh, if you want to listen to more of my thoughts on that from the podcast, uh, definitely check that out. That was a, it was a good episode, this last one, and it was a, a lot of fun. Great Nuggets win. I, I don't know why you wouldn't want to listen to that episode, actually. So that was a really good one, and it was a really fun game to cover. But now we, we've got some new interesting news, and, and I want to spend some time talking about it, the disabled player exception that Michael Porter Jr. Uh, just was was granted, the Nuggets were granted one for Michael Porter Jr.'s salary. Um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about uh, the T-Wolves and Jazz matchups that are coming up, and then I want to talk about the backup center market, which I definitely think it, it seems like the Nuggets are at an impasse right now with the backup center position, and it has been solved or has it and i think that there are at least a number of reasons to believe that denver may not be satisfied with what the current situation is so we're going to talk about that but first let's cover the disabled player exception for mpj the dpe sham sharania reported earlier this morning that the nuggets were granted an exception that they filed for that they they basically requested from the league for $2.8 million. And the reason why it's 2.8, Michael Porter Jr.'s salary is 5.6 this year. The, the designated player, not designated, the disabled player exception is half of that. That is the rules for these DPEs. Basically, it means that if a player were to get injured and then a team files for a DPE, then they can replace that player with a certain number of money. They absolutely can. And in this case, in order to really fully take advantage of a DPE, my belief is that the player has to be out, or at least deemed out, once you fully take advantage of that. I know that there have been some alternate stances that have been put forth, but I'm not sure if there's anything really truly tangible that a player can have a disabled player exception and then a team can use it and then that player comes back after the fact. Um, just looking through some comments here. Uh, yeah, so basically if Michael Porter Jr. comes back prior to the exception expiring on March 10th, um, then the DPE would not be available to Denver. Uh, but what I do understand, Porter can still come back. He's not prevented from coming back if Denver uses it. But I do think that they would have to get rid of whoever they used with the DPE, from what I understand. So, what does this mean? Why are we talking about this? Why is this a big deal? The Nuggets want as many options available to them as possible. That's what Matt Moore came out with earlier today. He and I talked earlier today as well. Uh, it seems like the Nuggets are trying to do everything they can to have as many options at their disposal as possible. I think that's interesting. I think the the general consensus based off of the inside of the Nuggets organization is that 
Michael Porter Jr. is still on track to be healthy and that there's definitely a strong possibility that he could come back before the playoffs actually start. However, if there's something that is a setback or maybe something that they want to uh, play around with, mess around with, just in case, let's say, Michael Porter has a setback in the next month, then they're not going to get burned. Then they don't put all of their eggs in one basket, and they can also use this DPE. The interesting thing is that they can also trade the DPE if they're because they're granted it and they use it. But in order to use that, I think that they would have to deem Michael Porter out. So the next 10 days are going to be really interesting for the Nuggets. I really do think that they're trying to be active at this deadline, as we're going to talk about in the third segment. They're going to try to put the best possible team around Nikola Jokic. And I think you can definitely identify that process by looking at the Bryn Forbes trade. They didn't need to trade for Bryn Forbes. They had a variety of guards that they were using. And though they, it looks like they've now found a combination that makes more sense rather than the combinations that they were using, I'm not sure if it's because Bryn Forbes is just a much better player than the players that they acquired. But what is pretty clear is that he was better and more helpful than a player that wasn't going to play, and that was P.J. Dozier. That was uh, Bull Bull. Vlako Chanchar is another player, I think, that may not be usable for either the regular season or the playoffs. His uh, foot surgery, I believe it was done in mid-January, if I'm not mistaken. And because of that, the recovery time for that is probably going to be three months, from what I understand. So you're looking at right before the playoffs when Vlako Chanchar comes back. And he's not a, a great, fantastic player already at the start. So working his way back from rehab, having not played much of the regular season for various injury reasons, and then being asked to come back and be helpful, that's a really tough place to be for a player like him. And then you add in Michael Porter to this, he's also going to have to deal with that. He's going to have to figure it out if, if he does come back and if the Nuggets agree that it's in his best interest to come back. Because he is a talented player. He is somebody that the Nuggets have invested a whole bunch of resources into. They want to see what he can do. They also want to get him prepped for next season as well. And there is a large school of thought that if you're the Nuggets, you'd like to see how he plays with this group in these playoffs so that you can best suit yourself for next year too. Surround yourself with the right pieces. Make sure to factor him in, but also see what this team can do when all of the pieces are back, and or at least as many of them as possible are in place. So Denver has turned what was a very dead bench uh, in terms of helpful players into one, and then they're, they're still going, they're still working on this, but they're trying to turn what has been a dead bench into something that is more productive, where... Peter Cornelie wasn't playing, so they bring in Davon Reed, and, and then they wave Peter Cornelie. Uh, Bull Bull wasn't playing, so they trade him and P.J. Dozier, who wasn't going to play, for Bryn Forbes, who will. Uh, Marcus Howard, not necessarily playing a ton right now, but they got Bryn Forbes, 
much more of an upgrade upon that. Still think that they're potentially working on some other upgrades on the wing. They're also thinking about centers, and they're also thinking about what happens if Michael Porter Jr. doesn't return. They might still need an actual forward, somebody who can play a little bit more physically than maybe Zeke Naji can. Or maybe they need another ball handler on the wing, as opposed to uh, Davon Reed, who they may not be comfortable handling the ball. There's a lot of things to play around with, and there's a lot of ways to use this disabled player exception, and they're playing around with those things. They they applied for it, and now they are whether they reap the rewards of it or not. It it just doesn't necessarily matter because if they get Michael Porter Jr. back, the point is moot. Like they applied for it, it was granted, and the reason it was granted is because a doctor, an outside source of a doctor, not somebody within the Nuggets organization basically said that it was greater than 50% likelihood that Michael Porter would not be back before June 15th. So June 15th is basically two months after the end of the regular season. It's right towards the end of uh, pretty close to the NBA finals, if not during it. Uh, and because of that, because you're you're thinking like that, if you don't think that he's going to be back before then, or maybe he shouldn't be back before then, then maybe it's a good idea to just hold him out. Maybe there's something to that. Uh, I think the Nuggets are at least internally pretty uh, hopeful. I don't know if I necessarily like the juxtaposition between the hopefulness for Denver on Denver's side and then an independent doctor who doesn't have any ties basically says something different, or at least says that the the likelihood is a lot less than maybe the Nuggets were thinking of. So I don't know if those two things are juxtaposed. I don't know. I haven't spoken to anybody about that. That's not something that you really talk about too much. You just talk about what the Nuggets are thinking, what they're hoping for. And for what I understand, it seems like they are pretty hopeful still, despite the fact that this disabled player exception was granted. So, if Porter comes back, he will likely join Jamal Murray in a slowed process where Denver will probably need them to ramp up pretty quickly, but they may not have time to ramp up quickly. So, this is why I think, if anything, Denver's going to have Michael Porter come off the bench. Like, their starting lineup has really worked. There's a difference between Michael Porter coming off the bench and Jamal Murray coming off the bench. Although that has probably been. been discussed as well. Uh, So I am very interested to see how the Nuggets handle this. I am very, very curious. There's a lot of different ways that they can go, but I do know that they are exploring every avenue. And this is just one of those ways that they can make it work. They can trade this disabled player exception. Uh, They could just basically add that 2.8 million to a deal. But I do believe that if they do something like that, then it might preclude Michael Porter from returning, at least logistically, financially, whatever it is. Maybe not health-wise, but it's at least something to think about. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to touch on the T-Wolves and Jazz matchups that are coming up. Second night of back-to-back, 
for that Jazz matchup, the T-Wolves game might be harder. Uh, But first, I want to tell you guys, as you know, DraftKings Sportsbook, they are the partner, the sponsor of this podcast. And what they do, above all others, is they give you these fantastic deals as a new user. You know the Super Bowl's coming up. You know that we've been talking about this from like for the entire NFL playoffs, which has been going on for about a month here. DraftKings Sportsbook, they are the betting partner of the NFL, and they're counting down with 56 to 1 odds on the team of your choice. All you have to do is bet $5 as a new user, and you could get 280 in free bets if your team wins. That's a great, great deal. And if you're interested, or if even if you're not a new user, frankly, you can get into the same game parlays that are going on for the Super Bowl. And they always love to do fun prop bets for sure. I'm not sure what the ones that the that DraftKings has, but I think the the betting on the national anthem length I think is very fun. I think betting on the the last digit of the score is very fun. I like to do those squares with my family. Uh, there are a lot of ways to bet on this Super Bowl with DraftKings. I know that they're going to give you a lot of different options. And if you go the same game parlay route, you combine those legs together, get more money if you win. It is that simple. They are safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So make sure to download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS when you do. Get those 56 to 1 odds. Bet $5. Get 280 in free bets if your team wins. It is that simple. That's promo code MHS. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pick Action Roll. We're back. Pickaxe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let us discuss the T-Wolves and Jazz matchups which are coming up. The Nuggets, they have done a fantastic job. They are 4-0 on this road trip. 5-0 in their last five. They're playing great. Coming off of a 36-point win against the NBA champions. That is a, like, and the NBA champions, the Milwaukee Bucks, they had Giannis, they had Drew, they had Chris, they had their guys. Like they didn't have they have Brooke Lopez. And when you don't have Brooke Lopez to go up against Nikola Jokic, obviously that changes the matchup a little bit. But the Nuggets didn't have Jamal Murray or Michael Porter. So uh we're more than square, believe me. Um so it's nice to see that the Nuggets have really rounded in the form. And I've talked about this before. Feels like they do it about this time every time. This is just a very common time for the Nuggets to really start performing well. And this is the time where Nikola Jokic really locks in. And so now you face a couple of division uh, appointments, a couple of division opponents that are going to be big factors in the playoff race. Obviously, I'm not talking about the Oklahoma City Thunder. Obviously, I'm not talking about the Portland Trailblazers, who are a mess. Talk about the T-Wolves, who are a surprise. And I'm talking about the Jazz, 
who are a surprise in a different way. Start with the T-Wolves first. They are 500 now. They are 5-5 five and five in their last 10. Very competitive team. They remind me of the early Nuggets, and there's a lot of reasons for that. When you, when you talk about Carl Anthony Towns and Chris Finch, talented coach, a talented big man, those two, obviously, I'm, I'm sure that their relationship is pretty good, given what Chris Finch did for the Nuggets offense back in the day, really got Denver started. And they're in the feel-good stage. I think it's pretty clear that the way that they have added to this team, getting Anthony Edwards at the number one overall pick, they traded for D'Angelo Russell, which I don't think that benefited them, but I do think it was pretty helpful. I do think they got themselves into a pretty good position where they were able to really move on from an era of basketball that was really, really painful for them. And now they move into a different era in which I thought that Anthony Edwards would not be the player that he was. I I was pretty concerned because when you watch his highlights back in college, you could see the physicality that he played with. He played like a superstar, but the shots that he was taking, it was just like in one ear, out the other kind of shot selection where he put J.R. Smith to shame. But now, at the NBA level, he's matured a little bit, and the open court aspect of this T-Wolves team, of the NBA itself, has really helped him grow into an insane player. He's still taking threes at a high rate, and he's making a lot of them. Remember, early in the season, or earlier in the season, about a month, maybe a month and a half ago or so, the T-Wolves kicked Denver's ass. And Anthony Edwards had 10 threes in that game. I'm pretty sure that that's the most of anybody in the NBA this year. We're in an era where Steph Curry exists. So it's pretty insane. And his physicality, of course, is a big deal. He has some good defensive skills when he locks in as well. That's a great running mate for Carl Anthony Towns. And you might flip it. Like I think there are a lot of people that would flip that. Jared Vanderbilt? Also a perfect role player, former Nugget. He's one of those guys that just kind of develops as the perfect Aaron Gordon type. Like, I think Aaron Gordon is a better player. But I think Jared Vanderbilt, the way that he impacts the box score with his rebounding, his steals, his blocks, his ability to pass, his high efficiency given the types of shots that he takes, he fits really well within the role that the T-Wolves have laid out for him. It's kind of like Kenneth Farid on steroids. And that's going to really make this matchup difficult for Denver. Not because he's going to be guarding Jokic, but because he's probably going to be helping off of Aaron Gordon a little bit. And I am very curious to see how the Nuggets are going to manage that. Actually, it's probably going to be Jeff Green. Jeff Green's going to be an interesting one. Because I want to see Jeff Green really dominate a game like this, where Jared Vanderbilt's kind of the roamer, the kind of the rover type, and Jeff Green's the guy that cuts behind the defense's head, dunks on several people, hits a couple threes, does a little bit of everything. This feels like a good game for Jeff Green to really show why he's such an elite veteran contributor for Denver. But Aaron Gordon's going to be guarding Anthony Edwards. 
Uh, Will Barton and Monte Morris will try to deal with Patrick Beverly and D'Angelo Russell. Although, if I'm not mistaken, I think those guys have some injuries that I do want to check uh, just in case. Let's uh, let's go to their basketball reference page just to see, just to be clear. Okay, Patrick Beverly's day-to-day, D'Angelo Russell's day-to-day. Um, both of those guys, they could be healthy by the time Denver plays them. They might not, but they didn't play in the last game against Utah where the T-Wolves won by 20 points. Uh, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert didn't play in that game, but it does show that this T-Wolves team is to be feared. Nuggets fans should know that. They, they obviously do. I'm just sort of reminding everybody that this is something the Nuggets are going to have to deal with because they are a very, very strong team. And they do remind me, like I said, early Nuggets where they're feisty. You don't know if they're going to be competitive in a playoff series, but they are going to be a team that if you don't focus on, you are going to lose. And it certainly felt like Denver starting lineup the last time these two teams faced. Uh, Denver starting lineup was a bit apathetic, not necessarily locking in, uh, giving up open threes to Anthony Edwards consistently. Denver's going to have to change that. They're going to have to change their game plan. But it does feel like Denver's in a different place than the last time they faced the T-Wolves. I don't know if that's fair or not, but it does sort of feel like that. Uh, Denver can't let them get hot from deep. Can't let Malik Beasley be the team, the, the, the player to beat them. Um, I do think that this T-Wolves team, though, they have given up a couple of firsts already, or at least one first. But I do think that they should still be aggressive. If they could get enough for Ben Simmons without trading Anthony Edwards, without trading Carl Anthony Towns, I think you probably do it. Because those three together for the next three plus years would be very, very serious. I don't think they have enough for that, and I don't think the based off of all the reporting that we're hearing, I don't think the Sixers would ever settle for that. But I do think that the the T-Wolves should be aggressive. They should try to go for somebody like Harrison Barnes, who is a great complement to Jared Vanderbilt, where Jared Vanderbilt can be the utility guy, somebody who helps out Cat, But if you're looking for a closing five member, somebody who can space the floor, somebody who could switch and be dependable, but also really impact the offensive end in the best way possible, that's probably a player that they should be looking at. Uh, Obviously, the priority is to build around Anthony Edwards, Carl Anthony Towns. You need guys that can really help with that. Harrison Barnes seems like a guy that would help. Although there is something to maybe just holding out, seeing what this team can continue to do while they're together, and then making a choice after that. Will they have the financial ability to do so? I'm not sure. I do think that because D'Angelo Russell's making a ton of money, because Cat's on a max contract, we might have to wait to see whether they could make a run. Um, But if they had the opportunity to get aggressive in free agency or something. I think that they should do it. I think they're good enough that they can really start taking some swings here. The other team, uh, the Utah Jazz, 
they are free falling. This is one of those games that if it weren't a back to back, if it weren't if we hadn't already seen Denver really struggle with Bogdanovich and Mike Conley and Rudy Gay and all of these guys, then I would be a lot more confident in Denver's ability to to match up with them. I do think the Nuggets have turned a corner. I do think they're in a situation where they could really put the hurting on a team like this, especially if they don't have Gobert or Mitchell. But it's on Denver to prove it. Um, I do think that like the Nuggets, let's just go with this. The Jazz are 30 and 21. They are 2-8 and eight in their last 10 games. They're absolutely reeling. If the Nuggets win against the T-Wolves, then this game will be for the four seed. This game will be for sole possession of that, which is insanity. That's something that I didn't really expect Denver to have an opportunity to do at game 51 or whatever it's going to be. Denver's going to have an opportunity to really put some pressure on the top of the Western Conference, and they're not going to catch Phoenix or anything like that. They're probably not catching Golden State. Could they catch Memphis? That's a that's a good question. That is a that is a good question. As long as Denver wins the games that they're supposed to win, I think there's a chance that they get above 50 wins. Whether Memphis does that or not remains to be seen. I'm not really sure about their schedule, but I do think that the Nuggets are in a situation where they can do that, or at least they can consider it. Uh, but back to the Jazz. They're like the late Nuggets. The T-Wolves are like the early Nuggets, where you could see the foundations of what Denver built. The Jazz, I think, are the late Nuggets, but without the oomph. They don't have the superstar that Nikola Jokic is. They have Rudy Gobert, and they have Donovan Mitchell, and both of those guys, all-star, all-NBA caliber types, very, very good. If anybody considers those guys a top 10 player, then I think they're insane, but also they should probably both be in the top 20. Because of that, they're always going to be competitive. They're always going to, as long as they have a good supporting cast, they're always going to figure some stuff out. And this team does have a great supporting cast where they've always had elite depth. Mike Conley is a great example of this. He's a former All-Star, somebody who just last year was, was playing in an All-Star game. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich is very solid, as Nuggets fans know. Jordan Clarkson, very solid. Joe Ingles was very solid. It was, really sucks that the injuries that he sustained. Uh, torn ACL, is, as Nuggets fans know, it's, it's never something that you're hoping to do. Never something that you're hoping to see. Um, and it really sucks for the Jazz because this is kind of the, the last year, I would say, for this group together. Uh, because the Gobert-Mitchell duo has really plateaued over the last several years. It certainly feels like they've run into walls in various playoff series. Yes, they did advance past the first round last year, but it was against a Memphis Grizzlies team that wasn't ready for them. And then the year before that, they lost to the Nuggets in the bubble. The year before that, they lost to the Rockets in the first round. Year before that, they did beat the Thunder in 17-18, but then they lost to they lost to somebody in the second round. It might have been the Rockets again. But either way, it feels like they have run up against their ceiling 
where they're not quite an elite team in the playoffs like they are in the regular season. And the Joe Ingles injury in particular sucks because now, instead of being a helpful piece for them or for another team, he's just a $14 million expiring contract. And the Jazz, they don't, they're, they're a team that's built on this functional depth, not necessarily on the star power up top. Surely, like Mitchell and Gobert will take them home at various points. But they're not going to overcome this. I'd at least be very surprised if they did. Now, can they turn some of the chemistry problems that they've had? Can they can they find an elite perimeter defender using the Joe Ingles contract as a as a salary matching piece? I think they might. Uh, somebody like Justin Holiday or Kenrich Williams makes some sense for them. Makes plenty of sense, actually. Probably more so than the Nuggets even right now. Because if you're the Jazz, now you need to fill some of these minutes and you need it badly. So you better be willing to spend. You better be willing to trade. Uh, what is another first round going to do for you if all you do is draft Tony Bradley, Yudoka Azubuki, Minya Oni, uh, guys like that, that? Like who's the? They've drafted Rajon Tucker. They also drafted who's the guy this year? Jared Butler. Like they haven't been successful with their draft picks yet, and it doesn't look like they're ever going to be. So they might as well trade those in order to get a guy that they can get in the building and feel good about. We're going to have to see. We're going to have to see what, what they ultimately decide to do. But it certainly feels like they've hit their ceiling, and that ceiling just isn't as good as Denver's ceiling. For the time being, at least. Uh, the game tomorrow against the T-Wolves should be very competitive. Uh, Jokic versus Cat is real. I think Aaron Gordon's also going to take the Anthony Edwards matchup a little bit more personally. I also think that there's always some Patrick Beverly shenanigans with this team. And I wonder if Denver really gets up into his grill tomorrow. I think that that's something to at least, like, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and predict that we're going to be talking about Patrick Beverly tomorrow, whether he plays or not. I'm also going to predict that Denver plays a better game against the Jazz than they do against the T-Wolves. Now, whether they win either game or not remains to be seen. Whether they win both games or not remains to be seen. But I do think that Denver is going to be very competitive against this Jazz team. They know that they have to get that matchup. And I think the Jazz, they like Quinn Snyder is in health and safety protocols, their coach. Like, I don't know how they get up for that one unless the Nuggets let them in. It's kind of where I'm at with it, especially if Gobert and Mitchell don't play. If all breaks right for Denver, they could be in the four seed in the West, which is insane. Obviously, probably not going to go higher than that given where everybody is, but maybe the third seed is still in play. You never know. Well, who'd have thunk it? Based off of where the Nuggets were started, based off of the news we had received about MPJ back in November, on Jokic getting his wrist injury, and then Denver being hapless for the majority of that time, who'd have thunk that Denver would be in this position right now, doing this with this team? It's a, it's a very special group, very special player in Yoke, 
And I hope they get a chance to prove that against two divisional opponents here. Let's take another break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the backup center market. We'll be right back. back pickaxe and roll final segment here thank you so much for tuning in uh, if you could it'd be awesome if you could rate review and subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts, spotify google wherever you get your podcasts uh, if you're listening to this thank you so much it'd be awesome if you could share out the program it really help me out really help a lot of people out that are involved in the production of this podcast so thank you so much let's talk about the backups uh, there's been a lot of discussion lately about the backup guard spots where Faku was benched over the course of the last six quarters, and Bones Highland has been the backup point guard lately. Bryn Forbes is the two. Austin Rivers is the three. Zeke Najee's really established himself at the four. And between the last two games, uh, DeMarcus Cousins was the, the backup center for the last couple. And then Jermichael Green was also the backup in this past game and played pretty well against the Milwaukee Bucks. I thought that everybody played well. I don't necessarily want to fully credit Jermichael Green for just a a fantastic performance or anything like that. I think he played pretty well. I think he took advantage of his opportunities. I think, are there some things that he could probably do better? Sure. But he has a lot to, uh, to kind of earn back, I think. Although it is going to be interesting to see how he performs uh, sans Faku Campazo, because I do think that the pick and roll duo there is a really big deal. And being able to space the floor in different ways is is probably going to be important for somebody like him who is a supporting cast player. So we will see if Bones can get more out of him. But for now, I think it's important to talk about the backup center spot. And the reason why I bring this up is because. There have been rumblings that I have heard that a wing is still something that the Nuggets are looking at, but go back to that Mike Singer report, and they were looking at wing, and they were looking at center, looking at backup bigs, and recently heard the same, and talking to my colleague Matt Moore once again, he recently heard the same too, and wrote as much in a, in a column on the Action Network that you should probably check out. I mentioned this on the last podcast, but I want to reiterate it, Denver is doing their due diligence. They're trying to build the best possible rotation that they can. And I think that if you talk about what the rotation looks like right now, it's pretty clear to me where the strengths and weaknesses are. Think about the starters. Very, very strong unit. You've got Monte Morris, Will Barton, Jeff Green, Aaron Gordon, Nikola Jokic. It's been a great unit. You're going to eventually add Aaron Gordon, or not Aaron Gordon, Jamal Murray back to the mix and Michael Porter back to the mix. So those are seven guys that I think you can really fully trust in those spots. I think at the guard spots, you could probably trust Bones Highland, Austin Rivers. I think you can probably trust Zeke Naji as well. I think he's really proven himself over these last few weeks. I don't know if there's a wing that you trust on the roster, which is why... I point to the trade market as something that I think Denver will continue to do that they have explored. But the backup center position is still up for grabs too. 
because while DeMarcus Cousins has came in and he's currently undefeated as the Nuggets backup center, uh, I do think that it's something that his bad play has kind of been masked by wins and masked, masked by a healthier unit in general. And I think it's because he's a center. I think it's because he's actually a big and he rolls well. He takes a lot of attention. And then the rest of the team is able to kind of play off of that a little bit. But his individual play, at some point, teams are going to start leaving him open to shoot more and more. And if he keeps shooting as poorly as he has, uh, keeps making mistakes the way that he has, then the Nuggets unit is going to tank once again. So I am a little bit worried about that. Also a little bit worried about his health holding up. He's now got two separate injuries that he's had to deal with since coming back. Uh, A calf injury initially, a lower body injury, and then also a right foot sprain. So you've got two lower body injuries on a guy that has dealt with a torn Achilles, that has dealt with a torn ACL, that is moving very slowly and clearly laboring to get up and down the court. He wants to prove that he can be out there, but if he can't be out there physically, that's an issue. And putting all your eggs in that basket is really tough because right now, Denver's other options at the backup five are not great either. Got Jamichael Green, who, though he might change his stripes a little bit now that he's not necessarily tied to Faku, there are still some major cons to his game. Still not shooting the ball super efficiently, though he has hit a couple threes lately. Still isn't a big target around the basket. And though he does get good rebounds, though he does do some good things on both ends of the court, he's not the big physical presence that you're looking for to kind of take up that attention. And he's also very mistake prone. Can make some bad passes, can make some bad rotations at times can make some bad turnovers, screening fouls, things like that. It's very possible that Denver just needs somebody who's a little bit more stable. And I thought that Jermichael Green would be a little bit more of a stable veteran than he has been this year. That hasn't really been the case. So Denver might be looking for something a little bit more. Zeke Naji, as we've talked about, he's been great at the four, hasn't really been as great at the five. Now, he's been playing at the five with Faku for the most part. And I do think that the times where he was at the five next to somebody like Bones Highland, I do think he had some good games. I remember back to the Indiana Pacers game where the Nuggets were playing without Nikola Jokic. Denver had their starters, but they also had Bones Highland and Zeke Naji pick and rolls on the bench. And Zeke had like 19 points in that game and played really well. So I do think that there are some things that he could do as the five. He's going to space out his man a lot. He's going to roll to the rim and do all the right things schematically, but he's not going to be very strong in the middle of the paint. Plays more like a wing than he does like a big from a physicality standpoint, and that might not just that just might not be good enough. Not really a rim uh, protecting threat or anything like that. I think you could say a lot about the same about Jeff Green, where he's a six foot eight athletic player, but his athleticism is more geared towards the offensive end. He will dunk on people occasionally. He will 
out, out jump somebody for rebounds. Sometimes he'll make a very impressive block. But more often than not, his athleticism is limited to those major bursts. He's more of a functional player other than that. And he's going to make the good switches, uh, play a very sound defensive system. But he's going to get out-rebounded at times. He's going to get outsized at times. And against bigger players more consistently, he might not hold up physically. So I think there is a major reason to believe that Denver could benefit from having another center option. And now it just depends on what the center options are. Because I think that there's a there's a very fine thread that Denver needs to pull. And it can't be getting somebody who's too good because it'll cost too much. And then that player is only going to play like 12 minutes per game in the playoffs. You're going to be like, man, why do we trade a first round pick for that guy? Well, you can't. You can't trade a first round pick. So Miles Turner, DeMontis Sabonis, those guys, they're too good. They aren't. Um, they aren't capable of scaling down that role. And Denver is not really capable of paying what they would deserve to pay because Denver has other holes to fill other than backup center. Can't just spend all of their chips on that basket. Daniel Tice, another guy who has been rumored as a major trade piece, probably not good enough. And I'm also a little bit worried for him about those financial concerns because he's a player who has a four-year $28 million contract, which is big money for some, actually his four years 32, if I'm not mistaken, does have a fourth-year team option, but that is another couple of years of major money to be having on a books for a Nuggets team that's going to get really expensive really quickly. I just can't see Denver going that route. I also don't think that he's good enough or at least hasn't been good enough lately to really justify anything like that. It's tough. It's a tough place to be. Derek Favors is another popular name, somebody that has been around the block, makes sense as kind of a 4-5 hybrid for Denver. He's now just a 5, and his athleticism is completely gone. He's not somebody who's going to be a good defender in the playoffs. He's not somebody who's going to be able to keep up on second units, I think. I really do think that he's somebody that Denver should just not look at. And he's also making a significant amount of money, I think, both this year and next year, if I'm not mistaken. Let me check that. Let me check that contract just to be clear. Derek Favors. Um, he has a player option for the 2022-2023 season, which means that he's picking that up. Like it's a $10.1, $10.2 million player option in Denver. They probably just can't afford that for somebody like him. So that leaves another couple of options here that I would point out on some of the worst teams in the NBA. You've got Robin Lopez, who isn't really playing for the Orlando Magic right now. They're currently playing Mo Bamba. They're currently playing Wendell Carter Jr. Moritz Wagner, a brother of Franz Wagner who is playing really well as a rookie in Orlando. Both of, the, both of the Wagner brothers are in Orlando. So I don't think that they're going to be trading Moritz. I do think that they could trade Robin Lopez 
And even if they don't trade him, Robin Lopez seems like a good buyout target for Denver, where the Nuggets can offer him some money. Uh, Maybe it's for the disabled player exception. Maybe that's a good replacement for Michael Porter Jr. to really help bolster Denver's big man rotation. Uh, Not positionally, of course, because Porter is more of a forward. But I do think that Robin Lopez probably isn't good enough. Probably not a player that you bring in with the assumption that you're going to play him over Cousins or play him over uh, Jermichael Green. Those guys would probably be pretty offended that you did that, especially Michael Malone being a DeMarcus Cousins guy. Bringing in Robin Lopez, um, he's not that much of an upgrade, even if he's good, because there are some good things that DeMarcus Cousins does on both ends of the ball that I think you can point to and say, okay, yeah, Robin Lopez doesn't really help you with some of those other issues. Now, Kelly Olenek, much more of a substantial permanent option, somebody who could play the four next to Jokic because of his shooting ability. He makes sense as somebody that you could add to the team and and feel pretty good about the playoff rotation at that point. Now, is he going to be a fantastic option? Is he going to be somebody that um, really wins you a playoff game? I don't know. I really don't know. I think he might be somebody that opposing teams will try to take advantage of in the defensive end. But he's going to shoot a high percentage from three. He's going to be a very solid perimeter shooter for a big man. And he's got some playoff or uh, passing chops, excuse me, playmaking chops that could really help facilitate some good stuff with the second unit. The thing is, the second unit plays a lot less in the playoffs. And I think the if you're going to look for playmaking with the second unit, you're probably just staggering Jokic with them. And then you're surviving the other six to eight minutes that he doesn't play. So whoever you bring in, I think, needs to be a good defender. Needs to be somebody who's an athletic rim runner, can help out where um, where you've got guys like Murray who's coming back, who could be like you need a screen setter for him. You need somebody who rolls to the rim, who draws some attention. Bones Highland could really benefit from that. Uh, even Bryn Forbes, somebody like him, you set somebody for off-ball screens. Bryn Forbes could really benefit from that. I think the guy that you're looking at, if you look at anybody, is Nerlens Noel. The Knicks have been bad. They won tonight. They're doing okay. But I don't think that they have any real prospects for this year. And Mitchell Robinson is somebody that they're going to be thinking about, but whether they want him to be in the fold or not. Obi Toppin, somebody they're going to be looking at. They want to know if he's in the fold or not. I don't think that they think of Nerlens Noel as that essential to their group. I think that they probably prefer Robinson. I think they probably even prefer Taj Gibson, or at least Tom Thibodeau does. Because Nerlens Noel is not really playing a lot this year. He's averaging two and a half shots per game, a seven and a half usage rate. That's absurdly low. Like, that's so, so low. And I wonder if that's something where he can't do certain things 
and that's the reason why. But I also kind of think it's because the Knicks are an unhealthy team, where they're playing like they're a team from 2010 or 2012, and they need to be playing like a team that's in 2022, which means that you need that rim roller to be active. You need him to be a threat. Can't just be a screen setter. So maybe that's a Nerlens Noel problem, but he hasn't had that problem in the past. He's been a, a pretty good roller for teams like the Oklahoma City Thunder, uh, for the Philadelphia 76ers before that. He's been pretty helpful in previous locations. So I'm kind of surprised that he's really deteriorated in his role with the Knicks because he's good. He's got some great defensive numbers. Does a lot for the defensive end of the floor. So I wonder if he'd be helpful in Denver. I'd wonder whether they could get him for a second round pick. He has a another contract, another year on his contract next year. And then the following year after that, he has a team option. Basically makes about the same as Jermichael Green, just slightly more. And I have to imagine that the Nuggets would be better off. Given what Zeke Naji's done so far this year, given Jeff Green being here, given Michael Porter's on his way back, given that DeMarcus Cousins is in a situation where he could really uh, stand to get healthy as opposed to being forced into service, Nerlens Noel would be somebody who's kind of a buy-low target for a Knicks team that probably needs to shake things up. I would go target Nerlens Noel. I think he makes sense for Denver's personnel. I think he makes sense for playing a small role in the playoffs, but a very valuable role in the playoffs. And as long as he is amenable to it, I think he makes a lot of sense. Now, if you could get him for Jamichael Green in a second round pick, then I think you go for it. If the Knicks ask for much more than that, you probably can't. You probably have to find a different option. But I do think that Denver should try. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think that they could really stand to benefit and turn the second unit not just from a not just a unit that is a net neutral anymore, but is now a net positive most nights. I think that they could really do that. And that would be pretty, pretty cool. That would be something that not a lot of people expected. That's for sure. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support. As always, I will be back tomorrow night with a recap of the Minnesota Timberwolves-Denver Nuggets game. And we're going to see whether the Nuggets can keep up this win streak. Um, No promises, but it, it feels like they're in a really good place. So hopefully they can keep it up. That is going to do it. We'll talk to you guys very soon.